This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. All right. It's another special edition time. We haven't done a book discussion like this in this format with this lineup. So this is all new to us, but we're all excited. I've got Sharifa with me and Vanessa. Sharifa, you're on SFF. Yeah, Vanessa's on all the books, Read Harder podcast on Book Ride Insiders. You've heard both of them on this show before, but we are talking about Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. I keep wanting to go Riley Keed for some reason, but it's Kylie. <laughs> it's Kylie Rilo Reed. Rilo Kylie. <laughs> Rilo, Rilo Keed. Um, and I saw you guys gushing about it, I think on Slack or on Instagram mm-hmm. and other places. And then I know Rebecca liked it and it did the thing where enough of the people I follow and then Reese's book club. So it's just enough things are like, then I read it. Cause I don't read that much contemporary fiction. Quite I was kept. surprised you read it. So, yeah. um, once I read it, I was like, Oh my God, we need to talk about it. So I thought that'd be a good opportunity. We're all here in Portland in the same room doing weird things with our eye hands. We're all <laughs> learning how to do this. <laughs> At the minute. So we're going to spend the episode talking about such a fun age. So I thought what we do first is do some non-spoilery talk for those of you out there who haven't read it yet and think you might, and then move on to spoiler-filled territory. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Inez Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. 
I think you guys agree with me that you you kind of don't want to know some things, right? I mean, if you're, well, yeah. If, I yeah, mean, there's absolutely. like plotty things that we'll talk about, but some of the momentum of the book is, I think, especially at the end of part two into part three, like if you give yourself time to start part three, like it, this is a, this is a reading advice, um, and then we'll do some plot summary of what it's about. So let's do this first. I guess if you want to start. Why'd you pick it up? How'd you hear about it? Like, kind of, was it like me? Or is this, ah, I'm going to pick this up now? Or what, what brought you to the book? Well, it was kind of one of those. Firstly, I kept seeing Liberty raving about it on it all newsletters live, right? <laughs> because I edit a lot of those newsletters. So I always saw it. But it's funny that you mentioned about like not wanting to know a lot about it because I had no idea what the story was other than like the couple of sentences she gave away and then I saw the book cover and didn't know what to make of it either because it kind of has like a sort of a YA contemporary feel well, which the was cover, interesting. the cover right I mean we will talk about this later but yeah. like pretty this is not a Jeff book cover <laughs> I mean not, not in a good no, or a bad I, way like it's like I know so you for mean. those who haven't seen it's like this kind of scripty pink font with this world music prince kind of thing like it I was looking at this morning because like it doesn't really relate to the book at all does it I yeah I I'm still not entirely yeah, not sure. sure what's happening but oh it's an aquarium I, I know what that means a, yeah I think I do too yeah with the yeah. airplane we won't spoil anyway it doesn't that matter that part is yeah so Liberty was I saw the mention of it in um, those newsletters and then Vanessa was talking about it and that's when I was like I got a little bit more of a sense of what it was like mm-hmm. and Vanessa was raving about it so I and we talk about audiobooks a lot because Vanessa listens to a lot of audiobooks and so once I found out it was great on audiobook I was sold and I immediately turned it on and could not stop listening like I was Amazing. lying there I was sick when I was reading it so I was literally lying in bed just like with my phone next to my head on that my it? pillow like what's going to happen next? I mean it is the sign of a great audiobook that you find yourself in that weird position of not just listening while you're doing the dishes or walking but like just statuing on your bed or something well what i was saying say it to sharifa is that she i messaged you know she posted it i think on instagram i said oh my god did you like it and she says i was sitting there for two hours straight listening to Uh it by yeah my bed like i was listening to ye old timey radio show like where she was just tuned into the wireless like what's gonna happen and i thought that was incredible (laughs) listening to uh amos and andy in like 1931 like chin hands next to the radio it was just coney island so do you want to talk about the audiobook because i did it in print you guys did it only on audio i think at this point is that right so that's going to be something we're working around a little bit but just talk about the audio performance and get that yeah so i also picked it up this is related because again seven degrees of liberty hardy like she talked about it and i actually caught it mainly on the podcast and she brought up a thing that we're going to dive into which is that she was pretty upset about when it was being released and so she was doing her best to like muppet arm it all day and Mm -hmm. say like this is why i think you should read this book um, and then Tirza, who is my co-host on Read Harder, posted it to Instagram saying, Liberty Hardy recommended I do this book and I'm doing it on audio and I loved it. And so it was like <laughs> enough people kind of raving. And then, yeah, the Reese thing, not that I follow, but it just sort of – she tends to pick books, I think, for a specific reason. And I was like, well, okay, well, maybe – I thought the same thing. This book cover isn't what I assume that it is. Let me look further into it. And that's on me, right? I brought some assumption to this, but I also think they're trying to convey something no, I agree. with the cover. I mean, the other notable thing about the book cover is it's the Reese's Book Club, not just sticker, but it's, it's printed on there. there. Oh, and yeah. And so what Vanessa was alluding to, and I think Rebecca and I talked about this on our winter spring preview show, is it was moved 
up the publication date. I think it was supposed to be a January, February, March mm-hmm. release date. I'm not sure. Moved to December 31st, 2019, which for people us, like us who make internet about books, we hate yes, because really. our unit of coverage is the year. And so December 31st, 2019 puts us in a terrible spot. And so my contention, and this will be our, maybe we'll get into plot after this, but I think this is the first it book of 2020, even though it came out in 2019. There's this other book people are talking about, Vanessa and I may have talked about, we're not talking about that book in this way. Can you sub podcast? Like you can sub tweet. I'm not sure (laughs) if I'm sub, if you can, I'm sub podcasting about that book right now. But I think, so the sales have been good. People Mm -hmm. have been talking about it. Very well reviewed. Mm -hmm. First it book of the year? Am I? What am I missing? I mean, we're early in the year, but we're now through the January releases. I don't think anything in January has really overtaken this in sort of like nerdy book people like us. Yeah, I would say so because, I mean, a lot of what I base on what is buzzy and big is just on Instagram because I happen to be on Instagram a lot and I see it everywhere. And I don't know if it was the Reese pick or... I think um, well-read black girl also chose well, it as a book club pick, and so that's been everywhere. And a lot of people I follow on Instagram are on that, so of course they're picking it up and reading it. I happen to be reading it at the same time too, which was like, I think everybody once they got wind of what it was about and how timely it was, yeah. and, and I they picked it up. I think what, and I totally. Just realized I didn't really say anything about the audiobook performance, oh, um. except that it's fantastic. Nicole Lois is amazing, but um, <laughs> I think what I loved about it and why it's so pressing a lot of people is that it, it manages. It's an issue book, right? But it's also not that it's not is that it attacks it in a very different way. It's not necessarily like a. It's not about anyone's pain in the way that so many books are that are important, yes. but. It forces you, I think, to examine a lot of really uncomfortable pieces about oh my God, the ways so that you uphold systems of oppression. Even, and I really want to dive in a little bit into the fact that every time you read a description of this book, Alix is described as Amira's well-meaning employer, and this phrase "well-meaning" to me is like the loadedest of loaded yeah. phrases. Yes, yeah. right. so I think that's kind of what makes it an it book. Is that it really is forcing people to be like, oh, am I? Am I? Am I Alix? <laughs> or which of, I mean, for me, which pieces of these characters am I? Like, I don't yep. think I'm any one of them directly, but I can go in certain directions. Like, there's a cautionary tale element to, depending on where you're situated, uh, for sure. I guess, Sharif, you were talking about Instagram. And, like, this is an internet book, too, right? Like, Instagram is mentioned yeah. in here. I think we should also talk about how Amira doesn't have Instagram, like, that was a big thing. Yeah. Twitter. The main character, sorry. Amira. Yeah. Amira, the main character, does not have Twitter, which was something that stood out to me. But it was it was kind of a perfect situation and a perfect position for her to be in for some of the things that happened yeah. later on, where she was completely blindsided by things that happened. I don't know if we're in spoiler territory yet. But also the fact that she doesn't have it, like... Part of me was like, is it because, like me, she got tired of it? But yeah. she didn't, she sort of didn't know. She's so much younger than, um, you guys are younger than me, but she's 26, and none of us here are 26. No, there is not a two. Um, <laughs> um, so there's a younger generation thing, which actually made it even a little more surprising that she was so not internet. She even says at one point, uh, I don't bleep with the internet or something like yeah. that, I think is the line. Yeah. And, that struck me as, I think you're right, logistically story, but I think it tells us something about her. Yes, she's for sure. not, especially as, well, especially compared to some of the other characters who's very much 
driven by appearances, influence, or well, culture. Well, we should probably or, tell people like what the basis well, of the tell, book give, is. Give us the plot, Vanessa. So you I'm want just, to do the plot, I'm going to do the like really, really yeah. like bare bones version, which is just that um, I like to call her a professional Karen, but we have a mm-hmm. character named Aleeks who is essentially an influencer, and she's, she's white, and she hires blindly but still hires a person to babysit her toddler because her family is relocating from new york to philadelphia they need they've had their second baby which wasn't on the in the cards and so she hires amira who is a 26 year old black woman to watch her toddler and then they learn as you progress through the book and i don't yeah i don't think this is spoilery it says it in the jacket of the book that um there is a link in alix's past and amira's present that neither of them is privy of until, you know, much further into the book that really does threaten to just completely undo both of them for very, very different reasons. Yeah. So that's... And the plot hook, though it, it's less important than you would think, is that Amira is called at 10.51 p.m. I remember distinctly. Yep. <laughs> she's exactly. out. It's like a Friday or Saturday yep. night, so she's out. She's had a, she's out. You know, she's doing she's, her thing. She's at a club. <laughs> she's at a club doing yeah. normal 26-year-old things. And her, uh, Alix, her, her boss calls and said, he'd come over. They've had an incident at the house. She wants the kids out of the house. They've There's been woken police up. there. There's police there, which is kind of an issue, but we maybe won't get into that. So Amira knows that she can take them to Market Depot, which I guess is Whole Foods. I know right? the name of it did not ring yeah. Whole Foods to yeah, me. Yeah, so I'm like... not an East Coaster, so <laughs> exactly. I, it was my, a fancy my, boutique. As someone once who had kids in New York. Oh, Yes. Whole Foods was a great place to take them if you just needed to go somewhere. I don't know that <laughs> they're open that late, but anyway. But it's like a whole, it's if it's not li- literally meant to be Whole Foods, it's basically a Whole Foods. Okay. She's walking them around, walking um, Briar as the kid's Briar. name mm-hmm. around the aisles, and she's dressed up like she's at the club. She's got this little white kid, and a security guard says, "This looks wrong to me." And I think we get into spoiler chairs, and that's kind of the inciting incident, though. It's actually not about that. Like, that becomes important, but... That's so why I don't always mention it yeah. right away. I'm yeah. glad you yeah, did. Yeah, it's yeah. important, too. But it is... Like, it's a it's a linchpin. I mean, it's and a it's, it's the a hook, thing, right? But... Like, oh, my God, this sounds like cringe porn. Kind of like, oh, I, all but the stuff I expected, that happens around this. Maybe you did, too. But, like, once that element was introduced, yeah. I expected that something about that was going to blow in a very different direction. And right. the book didn't yes. go that way at all. Which is, again, one of those reasons that I was like, I must keep reading. And yeah. then, you know, two hours later... <laughs> And it's the confluence of that that event that becomes a fulcrum around which Reed balances discussions of race and class and gender and ambition and career and sort of contemporary life and a whole bunch of things orbit around that. But ultimately, I think that is that's a that's an inflection point that gets sort of gets us going. But ultimately, this is a character story, and the characters are the thing that provides the tension, the drama. Um, going forward. And so I think this is going to be about the end of our spoiler-free discussion. Uh, Is there anything else to say here before we go? So I'm going to do a sponsor, and then after this we'll be spoiler-filled. So you've been Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, 
even the help of Guillaume Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Okay, now, we talked about the first it book. Let's talk about, I think I saved why this book people why why people are having this reaction to this book because i think we are going to spoil it and talking about that sure are yeah. Where sure do we, are. <laughs> wh- wh- why do we why did why are we doing this podcast about this book right it's not just because it's a page turner yeah. like girl with a dragon tattoo it is that even though there's not things that border on violence and border on a police situation and other kinds of things but it never reaches it never reaches that kind of moment it, it it's always at this kind of just below the surface what do you want to, where do we want to go from here about what it's about? I, what I, I mean, I kind of already alluded to this, I guess, but is that I think it is both subtle and smacks you over the head at the same time. And I, I again, the well-meaning part yeah. is so important to me. I'm, I mean, obviously I'm a Latina, I'm not black, but I, and most of us, I think know at this point, hopefully that so much there, there are the struggles, there are the big struggles, there is the violence, there, mm. there is like the big nasty things that people go through. But so much of daily existence in a black or brown body is about microaggressions. It's about mm-hmm. subtlety. It's about people that are, you know, quote unquote, well-meaning that just step way out of their lane without meaning to. And that that just drove so much of my passion for the book is that I was like, yeah. I, and I found myself at times defending my, my friends chose to read this for book club. And I'll admit it was because of Reese. And I, at first I was like, I don't want to read. And then I realized what book it was. I was like, Oh, I already read that. Yeah. Let's, let's do that book. But um, I think a, in the beginning, a lot of, I could, they did the same thing that I did where they found themselves defending some of Alix's actions until you, and maybe you still do. I, you know, everybody falls differently on this, but like, it's, it's that it's that there's never anything. I don't think anyway, ostensibly, well, maybe that ending, but where Alix does something that's like, Oh my, I mean, I felt that way, but it wasn't like an act of violence. It wasn't something big and violent. I, I keep coming yeah. back to that, but it was just this series of, and and the fact that you're in her head, I think is also a huge piece of it. Cause some of the things that she would think to herself, I was like, Oh girl, like say, say that sentence out. Like, uh, I don't, again, spoilers, but yeah. yeah, when they're at that dinner table, and she oh. sees how many people are coming and she literally says something to the effect of like, I'm so proud of how many black people are coming to dinner. Uh, yes. She, she said in her head, I counted how many black people were coming because she wants to impress Amira, her yes. 
employee who she wants to be friendly with. She's like obsessed with her. She's yeah. obsessed with her. And maybe it's something you're saying, and I'll loop Sharifa here in a minute. But like some of it felt so, not exactly, but familiar. Yeah. In ways that are super uncomfortable. Sharifa, what do you think? What, what, what made you rip through it and sit by your bed like a, like a freak with your, your headphones on <laughs> like we all do sometimes? Her and her cat. Well, yeah, I totally agree with Vanessa. And I think that like what I hadn't seen before that came out in this book was a really nuanced discussion about what day-to-day interactions and what day-to-day experiences of like being a black or brown person look like. And I feel like these are things that a lot of people who consider themselves, you know, I use the word woke purposefully here mm. because mm-hmm. this is sort of what we're talking about, like like woke culture that is privileged and doesn't experience this and they feel like they are doing things for good reasons like it's hard to explain how some of the things they do and how sometimes their activism is kind of clout grabbing that feels like how do you verbalize that how do you talk to people who are you know allies in some ways about really complicated issues and without making them feel like you are literally just saying you're doing it all wrong, get out of here. (laughs) And I think this book does an amazing job of that. Like talking about, I mean, in the, the opening scene where the woman who actually calls the security guard over is even as this is happening, as the security guard is harassing Amira, she's behind him like, oh, you know, I just wasn't sure. And like, kind of like, oh, and you then know, initially she didn't right? like that. I mean, to set the scene, it's like Amira and her friend are sit are in the in because her friend accompanied yeah. her from the club. <laughs> They're both yeah. in their club attire. And Briar, this is one of my favorite notes. I'm sorry. It's like she likes to smell the nuts. Like that's what yeah. she likes to oh, go yeah. to and this she place likes to, to identify. Nuts. Yeah. So they let her go up and down this aisle to like look at nuts and tea. And so she's doing that. And they're dancing, right? They're like mm-hmm. having a good time. And that same woman passes by them in that aisle and like smiles and kind of nods, like, "Oh, you guys look like you're having fun." I think she might even say that out loud. I can't remember. And then, lo and behold, that's the person, right? That's the person who snitched. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first, when I got to that opening scene, I was reading, like, an interview with um, Kylie Reid, and she was actually talking about how that wasn't originally going to be the intro, Mm. but it was such a smart decision to have that because, firstly, I was hooked because I was furious reading this entire opening because... You get the sense, and I don't know if, like, everybody feels this way, but when I was reading it, like, you get that sense, that very real sense of, like, the futile helplessness of being in one of these situations where it's potentially really dangerous. Like, anything you do could turn into something violent and terrible. And then, so it opens with this scene that's, like, really hard and difficult and heartbreaking because she has to deal with this and she has to find a safe way out of it and the safe way ends up being you know calling the white man to her rescue and then it goes into the full story which has all sorts of other emotions attached to it and it is like satirizing in a lot of ways so it's like this big relief that she gets out of it and then you're kind of taken on this character journey with Alix and Amira and 
you're already set up with this with this sense that Amira is living in this completely different world, and then now we have Alix's story and how ridiculous and wild is this going to get? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what it was about that opening scene, but after that, I was just all in. Like, I just had to know what was going to happen next to everybody. I think there's that sense that you're like, something's coming. It's just, I think yeah. a lot of us don't. And I mean, we're telling you now, but like, it's not where you think. No. Like you, I think most of us, because we've just re- read so many issue type books or like issues where like a police confrontation. With I was a ready black for her to get taken uh, down same. to the precinct, for right? Yeah. Same. Yeah. Especially because the white woman pulled the like... I'm just, I'm sorry. Again, I'm I'm yeah. actually literally doing the audiobook question. Right. I'm just like, I'm sorry. It's just that I'm a mom, and you know, I saw a little girl, and yeah. yeah. And so she like tries to like do the like I'm the well meaning, but you are for sure thinking like this is going that route, right? right? And then it yeah. completely it doesn't. But you keep thinking maybe it, and then you just keep going and going and going. And when you see where it's maybe heading, you're like, oh my god. Yeah, and that tension too of Amira ne- seeing Amira negotiate in real time like how to play it. Right? There's the play the the passive kind of don't get shot kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. There's the standing up for yourself kind of a situation that people would, you know, praise if the video gets out. We'll talk about the video and Kelly in a minute. But then there's also like, how am I actually going? To, what's the right move here? I'm being discriminated against, but I need to get out of this situation. Yes. And there's no good, there's, there's no good move for her. There. Well, especially because I think you really do hear this in actual life, right? Yeah. Whenever a black person responds, however they do right. to being confronted, there's always the people that come from the peanut gallery. Well, if you were just really nice or right. if you just, you know, put your hands up, if you just explained, like, and there, we've all know that there is no. Or you should have ripped that cop a new one, right? Indeed. Like, that's like, the other or like defend yourself say. because you have the right to do so. And you, because we're in these characters' heads, you actually get to see them go through that thought process in real time. And so you're hearing Amira say, like, no, nah, I don't want to do X, Y, Z, or like, I mm-hmm. need to call my employer. But like, uh, you know, and, and I, I really love that you are, again, in her head and get to see her think about all the scenarios that are in front of her. And she's looking at herself going, like, well, I am in a dress because I did come straight from the club and mm-hmm. I'm with this little girl. You know, and I, I, again that's the part that I love I love that you get to see her perspective and how she's making her way through it and it reminded that moment reminded me like the one that again I was talking to someone else about Native Son recently so the moment where she's seeing her, the situation both as herself and as she sees white people yep. seeing no, it exactly. yeah. and knowing both things and trying to synthesize those and some of it is being able to see both is actually a distraction I think to yeah. some degree of like having to negotiate even the negotiation is hard yeah um, let's talk about the structure of the book. Cause as I think Sharifa mentioned a moment ago, after this, it becomes more of a character driven book. There mm-hmm. there's plot elements that matter. And the three main characters for this, we already mentioned Alix, who's her employer influencer, kind of generally Wanna life be coach, kind of upwardly. I mean, she got famous initially mobile. by literally writing letters to people about like, this is how you can do better. Like, yeah. is that's and like a professional yeah. on a panel, which is both are very loaded sort of backstories for her. Indeed. And then Amira herself. And then the third character we haven't talked about is Kelly, yes. who is there at the moment of the security guard encounter, who has been filming the whole thing, um, offers, to, to, to release the video of the interaction saying, you know, you could sue, um, eventually tries to, does pick her up yeah. uh, later. Um, they meet again, Amira and Kelly meet again later on the train. Yeah. And then they start dating. Yep. And Kelly brings to his, I, I don't know, his character brings a lot of other a lot racially loaded <laughs> feelings. It, I, yeah. I'm, sure I'm, I'm, to go like, here. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure what to say because as Vanessa said, like, 
there isn't like a necessarily a ver- a caricature of a racial villain in this book necessarily. Now people get screwed up all the time, or maybe maybe there is. Maybe Elix is more of a racial villain, but at least we see she thinks she's a she think, think, yeah. she thinks she's a good person. Like all good villains do, they think they're a hero in the story. Yeah. Ultimately, she does something beyond what you can't recover from for a heinous. Yeah. No, that mm, we'll get there. But until that moment. You can sort of well actually well she's tr- she's 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 trying she doesn't know she's ignorant about this well you can kind of see it she and you do en- you well, do enough right? of those things it's like the the road to hell is paved with good and in- well good intentions <laughs> and the bricks so come times. one by one like it's one after the other like any individual brick maybe Amira could deal with but all of them together makes her a sort of Cruella Deville of well-meaning white. Person. Well, I'm not sure bring, what you think about that. Well, then, yeah, and then you bring Kelly into the mix, yeah. right? Yeah. Who, like, if we haven't already said, I don't know if we did, but he's white. Yes. Yeah. So he is a white casual shopper at, you know, Market Depot. And yes, he does do the, you know, he records and then he actually offers not only to blast it, but when he, she says she doesn't want to, he's like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send it to you. You can save it. And then, like, I'll delete it off my phone. And then that's, like, how he gets her information. And yeah, they start dating. But he, too, is sort of, and I didn't necessarily see him that way like right away, but then very quickly began to, where he was sort of on a, on a leaks, just on a very opposite spectrum, where he too yeah. was very like, nah, you gotta release it. And he was, uh, I mean, I think it just borders eventually into fetishizing, right? Like he, he's, he's a complicated character, like, because in a one way he is, to back up, I think it's interesting to watch Amira not necessarily want to not only engage, but also making a lot of excuses for Alix. Like, I don't think she right. arrives at the, like, my boss is not an all the way up and up person. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I did at one point, I guess, kind of root for Kelly in the sense that he was like, mm, listen, like your, your girl might, and granted it's, Wait, no, he doesn't know who she is, right? They don't find out until the dinner. Yeah, they don't find out yeah, until the don't. dinner. I, I forgot this part for a second. But yeah, he's basically like, hey, some of the things that you say about her don't sound right. all the way. And she, she's not... Amira doesn't pick up on it right away. She's just like, no, this is a job and I need it and it pays well. And I, and the other thing is that she's in love with that little girl, right? Yeah. She loves Briar. That's yeah. so, well, we should talk <sighs> about that. But that, if that didn't exist, a lot of the book doesn't make sense. Indeed. But that's another yeah. situation too. And I thought with the Kelly situation, it was interesting in the ways that, I mean, Vanessa brought up like the fetishizing thing. And I think that that is definitely a huge part of the Kelly and Amira relationship conversation because i think this is a a conversation you know a lot of black women have in their head when they date white men Mm. is like is this a fetish thing and every there are so many things about kelly's history with who he dates and then there's also like the colorism of he only dates um light-skinned black women and then he's rolling into the club with his entourage of black black men yeah And so, and I think she says something like this is like a ba- out of a bad uh, music, music video. video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like a problematic yeah. music video. So, and a, a, a music video Eminem would have starred in in like yeah. 1996 <laughs> or something like that. And so that. there's a lot of that conversation. And even in my head throughout her relationship, I was like, is he? Isn't he? I like I was making the, I was trying to make the same judgments as Amira was hoping like yeah. I could see maybe some just, things maybe she wasn't yep. seeing. And he presents the other side of, like, the expectations of black and brown people where, you know, when you want them to be a mouthpiece mm. for your 
you know, left political leaning ideologies and your activism. Like, your own you're wokeness, not, quote unquote. Yes, right? your like, own wokeness. You, you're not always considering when you're coming from a place of privilege what the consequences are for the people who you want to be a mouthpiece and for Amira she's thinking about how dangerous it could be how she could lose her job how all sorts of things could happen to her and Kelly has such a hard time seeing that and it's so frustrating for him that she's not willing to release this video out into the world and in my head I'm like how can you not see how difficult it is like how this could hurt yes so it kelly was very very interesting well this is sort of a book club question i know people are reading this a book club like one you know you might read this and i kind of like here 10 things to talk about in your book club is kelly worse than the leaks are they equally bad if so why if not why not and i think the answer to me is well they're different yeah Mm -hmm. bad a leaks is clearly more destructive in the long run, because she does this unbreakable thing of break, hacking your email, releasing the video without her consent, then lying about it, then using Amira basically to get herself back in the game, right? She's cloud chasing. Yeah, she wants yeah. to make her look so right. good. Yes. And Kelly seems to actually like Amira, and Amira actually seems to like him yeah. before the video. But then it's like, like with many interactions Amira has with these characters, is she Amira to these people, or is she black woman, mm-hmm. right? Does Alix want to be friends with her because... She knows her? No. She wants to feel better about employing a black woman as a servant, essentially. And Kelly likes to date black women, and this is available black woman, and they basically project what they want Amir to be onto her, Mm -hmm. and they don't listen to her. That's one thing. They They don't never listen to her, her, and they always think they know better. And Amira has her own characterizations, which is pretty slight. Like, she's an interesting point in her life. She's a. Her her big inflection moment is she's about to come off health insurance. Interesting, like that's the yeah. That's the fork so in the road. There's so many things about this yes, when you're that age. Right. So she's trying to figure out what to do with she life. She's a three point one graduate of Temple University, living in Philadelphia. She's a budding professional woman, though not an overachiever, who doesn't have a strong passion to do anything in particular. So glad you brought that up. Yeah, and which is fine. Like that's not a that's not a critique. That's just who she is. A lot of people are like this. Um, but it puts her in a position where a lot of people are trying to mold her and wanting her to be something other than she is. What did you think about Amira's character? We should talk, we're going to talk about, and I don't want to do the same thing that Alix and Kelly do to Amira myself, but like, let's talk about her on her own terms. Like, I think Reed positions her extremely interestingly as kind of the pawn that people think is a pawn, but it, but it's a person of their own right. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I mean, in this context, really love the, like watching and it was obviously incredibly smart and comes from some of her real life experience, but that Kylie Reed also lets us see Amira with her friends. Yeah. Yes. Because if it was just with these two characters, I would also have been upset because her whole existence does not boil down to just this white boy and this white woman yeah. who are her you know, boyfriend and employer. And so you see her with her friends and Sharif and I talked about this a tiny bit earlier, but what I love that Kylie does with Amira and the rest of the girls in her little posse is that they're all, it proves that there is no monolith of a black woman. There is an Afro-Latina, or is she mm-hmm. Latina? She's Af- I she's, think, I think she's, she's Afro-Latina, Latina. right? Yeah. Um, and the rest of her friends are black, too. And they are professionals. They do different, like, they're in different careers. They're all actually quite ambitious. Yeah. And then Amira is, it's not that she's not any kind of ambitious, but yeah, like Jeff said, she doesn't really have a passion that she's honed in for herself. And that is something that I do 
remember relating to and why I love that she dives into it, especially because I'm such a huge proponent of, you know, immigrants don't and, mm. or not. She's not an immigrant, but people of color don't need to be like virtuous in a way that makes you feel comfortable <laughs> right. to prove their yeah. humanity. Mm-hmm. So I like that she was a little bit confused about what she wanted to do. She knows that she likes, but she doesn't have that like star pinned on the vision board of like, this is where I want to be. So you get to watch her try to work that out while everybody else in her life is like, no, but you should do this. And then if you really want to get me on like a screamy rant rage is her, um, Alix's friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially the black woman who like pulls her as Tim- Ooh, Tamara. Who was called, I believe, mm-hmm. by Zara, Uncle Tom Tamra yeah, at exactly. one point. I love her friends. Yeah. I love love Amir's friends. But yeah, she basically tells her, like, no, you need to have this particular, you know, path. And yeah, like you said, it's everybody trying to make a pawn out of her in ways that it's not that she doesn't see them doing it, because I think she very clearly does, and then we see that in the ending. But she's she's sort of I guess having to figure out like we talked about at the beginning with the security issue is like the way that I respond in all of these situations like matters more to me like it affects me really Mm -hmm. profoundly so I have to like not tick off my boss's friend I don't want like maybe I'm messing up a good thing with this guy and I'm just reading too much into things Mm -hmm. and like she's my boss and she pays me way better to watch her kid for a few minutes than I can find in some other things so yeah Mira as a character is complex she's nuanced she's young she's She's just moving through life and has these real concerns. Yeah, like health insurance and like I feel like the slacker out of my friends. Am I? (laughs) Well, in that way, she sort of – I mean slacker is not the right word, but she's not as advanced. She doesn't have as much direction as they do. And that directionlessness I think makes her attachment to Briar be the anchor that keeps her with the job with the leaks. Like she didn't care about Briar and she had more direction. She would have quit the job earlier, right? So that emotional anchor matters. I mean, I, yeah, I loved Amira for a lot of reasons. Um, And I think one of them was because in my mind, I I feel like a lot of people on the outside don't realize that, you know, 20-something black women have the same sorts of problems, have the same sets of problems as any other shiftless 20-something-year-old. Like, it's not just about their blackness it is they have to deal with you know the struggles of that mm-hmm. come with being black but on top of that they just are 20 something year olds and and in new york <laughs> yeah and a lot of amira's struggles like i mean i went through a lot of that so i related it resonated with me on a deep level and i just love that we get this this vision of Amira that is nothing like any of the projections, that is nothing yeah. like any of Alix's ideas about who she is. And, you know, she's anomaly. She's an anomaly not because there's something weird about her, but because she's an individual, not like a one-dimensional figure that a lot of people, someone like Alix might envision when you say young black woman. And I agree that her relationship with her friends, those were like oh. some of the highlights for me just because <laughs> of the way they were and the way they sounded off of each other and the feelings she felt seeing some of her friends get promoted and be able to pay their rent and have health insurance and things like that. And yeah, uh, I just thought she was an amazing character and she was a huge part of the reason why I kept wanting to follow the yep. trajectory of yeah. the story just to see like where's she going? 
Where is she going? And please get her out of this. And her whole family situation and background was so fascinating. So I we talk about it. that just for a minute? Like one of the things I have on here, I think, oh, I don't remember. What questions exploring, I kind of put it on this, but like sometimes in books like this, like what other book related to this do I want? Like what was the deal? That she's from this town in Maryland that's 6.5% mm-hmm. deaf. Yeah. And her family's like a bunch of artisans. And I kept waiting for that to come back. That. It was so unusual. And I was like, it was very specific. And I was like, I thought for sure that would come back. But I'm like, I want that about the, the black artisans in this deaf community. Because they also speak this sort of hybrid sign language that they that's usable but not actually sign language. So That has to be something out of Reed's background. It's so specific. I don't know what that was. I loved it. Like, I want the book about... Um, the Tuckers, right? That's the I family. Think so, yeah. The Tucker, yeah. the, the artisans of tu- uh, Mar- the Tucker artisans of Maryland. I really thought that was fascinating. Yeah, it was really interesting, and I kind of like that it didn't go too much too into deep? it because it's just like yeah. this is just part of her life. Like, like it is for it's not else. unusual. People are just they have they come from all different walks of life. This is a particularly fascinating one, and I know Kylie Reed based. You know, she took some of her experiences from her past as yeah. like a nanny, but she didn't like explicitly say what parts of this story are from her life but that was definitely super fascinating that whole situation with her town and everything i just love those little details that made the story extra special and interesting i usually don't have a lot of questions for an author after like i'm not one of those people that want to talk to the author but that's when i was like tell me about how this and the other one is sort of related the other question i would ask her or like we just want to hear why it was um, Alix's backstory, her maiden name was Murphy, mm-hmm. and her parents are essentially sort of weirdly nouveau riche, right? Like this yeah. weird situation where uh, Alix's grandparents both die. We don't know how. Simultaneously, <laughs> I guess. They leave her her family $900,000, her parents $900,000, and then the mortuary accidentally cremates them. So they sue the mortuary and they come into a lot more money. Yeah, and a lot of Alix's backstory. I don't. I'm not sure what to do with it. I'm still sort of processing how that affects Alix's character and this idea of the well-intentioned, like wealthy white person. Like, why does it matter, or does it just happen? That's where the money comes from. Did you guys have any sense of why those things might matter? Well, I yeah. thought it was really interesting, and this very much touches on something Sharifa just said. But is that I've read a lot of books where, like, you know a little or a lot, a lot of times a little about like the, you know, maybe white person, especially if it is like a racially charged book. And then there is a lot of background given to the person of color. And sometimes again, it's, I think to humanize, which I don't always love, but it gives, you know, this backstory. And in this case, you pretty much get the complete opposite. Like, mm. you know, a lot more about Alix's background. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, it's an author choice to give you all that information because I think it really muddies for some people, I would think how you feel about Alix when you know, how she got to who she is now, like that they didn't have the money and then they did. And then her parents kind of went crazy with it. And so that's how she found, you know, it's interesting because for a second I caught myself being like, Oh, well, she became the way she is because and I was like, you stop it, Diaz. Like, because I, like, that's <laughs> well, you do feel for her because her parents do seem to go nuts. And then she has this really bad thing happen to her in high mm-hmm. school. That's Callie's fault. My probably just to be honest, my least favorite thing about the book is the coincidence, right? That Alix and Kelly, they're the ones yeah. somehow they end up dating. It, it has to happen for the story to happen how it yeah. does. But like, okay, you get one big lie, but it, that's the one where like, Oh, Oh, okay. I, maybe you could tell the story differently. That Kelly and Alix really have a backstory that becomes really the focus, weirdly, of the third act. 
in hindsight, I, I don't know that you needed that. Maybe you just Kelly has the, his own thing about black people, and Alix has hers. Maybe they don't need to have a backstory. I'm not sure. Did you guys, Shreefa, do you have an opinion about? I that? mean, I have to. Well, to start, like just going back to yeah, Alix's yeah. history, I thought it was interesting that we have Alix's version of her history exactly. and her wealth, and then we have Kelly's version, and then mm. we have the black nanny. That Alix grew up with Alex back then. Yeah, Claudette, right? Claudette, Claudette yeah. And that whole situation and the uniform stuff mm. that comes up that Kelly mentions and that, you know, also muddies the water in a big way. And so we have that whole situation with Alix. And I mean, with the thing about Kelly and Alix, I think that. And I don't know if this is true. This is maybe this is just literally something I'm thinking about right now. But I think the coincidence gave the story that just another more compulsive read aspect in that there's like this drama. There's this. It is kind of unbelievable. There are a few coincidences that happen, like the fact that Kelly and Amira just have this meet cute on the train and then that Kelly does have this backstory with Alix. But I kind of like didn't care because I found it so fascinating (laughs) and I just was like – Oh boy, this is well, going to be messy. We see it coming before yeah, the big dra- reveal. A lot of dramatic right? yeah. irony about you that. You see it coming, and so you're like, like waiting for that dinner. Say her name. Say her name one and time. Quite a, quite a bit before, right, Vanessa? Yeah. Like I think when Amira's at Kelly's looking at the Allentown map is like the first foreshadowing that they're from I think the same so, place. Yeah. I did not later, catch that, though. I will admit, yeah. I did. But, and then but there that, was a few things. A though. few things, but it does. You're to this point. It ha- there's a soapy element to it, and yes, that makes it propulsive. And that's fine. I like. Yeah. I don't mind. You know, some melodrama in my own kind. But it's just like, did you? Need it to it do was it? a coincidence, but yeah. I do think mm-hmm. it's one that, like, without it, I don't know. I, it works. And well, if it anything, helps me put the book it. down. And I dare anyone to get to the end of part two, in, where exactly. you know they're about to open the door to Thanksgiving. Uh. And no one, neither Amira or Alix or Kelly, know the um, the poop show. I think is the, the podcast for anyway. Podcast that they're, they're about sure, to yeah. walk into because you're just like. I mean, my soul was doing kind of this. Yeah. I was like, I was listening to it, and I was walking at this like P- Laurelhurst Park, and there yeah. were people around here in Portland. And when we got to that part, I out loud went, "Oh snap!" And <laughs> but, you know, you have your headphones in, so these people turn around, look at me, and like, "Oh, just an audiobook, thank you." You know, it was, it was <laughs> so yeah, it's a good. thing yeah, because yeah, great. you see it, and then you just watch the rest of it happen, and you're like, "No." Oh, it's so oh, bad. it's a hot mess. It's it's a mess, but it, it is so compulsively readable, um, and you want to find out what happens. I guess before we get to sort of the end, let's go through some of the. We kind of talked about the big ideas, what the book's about. You know, it's you know this racial dynamic that is the. I guess the um, the ambient racial misunderstanding of a certain well all white people but these two particular white people yeah and then the negotiation that the black characters have to do it all the time and i think one thing we didn't say about amira when push comes to shove she does stand up for herself yep when push yeah. comes to shove, yeah. and, and and maybe in a way she didn't know she had in her like we don't really get a sense that she's done anything like the thing she does with the tv crew at the end or even when she says to kelly like she texts herself I have three things I want to say. She says them. And he had basically intimated to her that I said 
he said to her, I love you. And he asked, like, well, did you want to say anything about that? She goes, nope, I went through my list. I'm good. Basically shutting him down and saying, like, this isn't about that. This is this other thing you need to hear. And I guess that's another question. Like, does Amira grow as a consequence of the plot? Like, is she a different person outside of it? Is she, what if she gotten there eventually anyway on her own? Like, what does the story do to her that's different? Because Alix, I think something happens to him. Her. Kelly comes out of it fairly unscathed, right? Because we see yeah. him at the farmer's market with another, another, let's another yeah, light-skinned let's black, black woman who wants to sell soap or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Amira ends up with, she's on an upward trajectory. Like, she's found her, her space as basically a competent administrator slash bureaucrat organizer, you know, part of a bigger thing, but not the leader of it, you know, but she's yeah. part of a bigger thing. So what do you think about how Amira was, was or wasn't changed by what happened in the book? I feel like Amira wasn't necessarily changed in a significant way. And there were some things about that, like that she just got to be who she was without having these people who have been who tried to be an influence yeah. on her life that they didn't win in the end by influencing her mm. was kind of that was satisfying to me yeah like she didn't like come out of the chrysalis or something they, oh, she that, didn't exactly end up making aquariums like alix wanted her to or whatever right. you know she just like she just happened to find her niche and it was a result of this, you know, news story that came out and she got to find her stride, but she, it wasn't like, you know, because of the struggle of being around these white people, yeah, right. she bloomed. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. glad That's, that didn't happen. Hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Say, cause even in, um, when she gets offered the job by, oh my gosh, I can... the green party. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then the person that she works for turns around and says to her, you know, I got to tell you, no one's ever worked for me for more than a year. And yeah. I don't think I'm a good boss if I don't push you to move mm. out of this position. And Amira, sort of true to who she always was, is like, that's not me. Like, I'm not looking, right. which that reminds me a lot about a book that we've read here um, within, like, the company, the radical candor thing yeah. about yeah. how there's, like, two kinds of people. There's rock stars and <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. superstars. She's a rock and, star, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she's yeah. like, she's and so, yeah, I, like, I liked that she didn't suddenly, like, rip off the impossible mission Impossible two face mask and like i, I am now this like right. different person with different career aspirations like she kind of was still like i like being really good at a thing mm -hmm. and so she got and i really love actually because i did at first i was a little upset that kelly didn't get a little more of a comeuppance but yeah. as a woman mm -hmm. who you know has maybe dealt with some boys at some <laughs> point in my life appreciated that she kind of took the like i don't really need to spend energy on yeah. you like go on do your thing i've learned from this experience, but that she didn't need to like go back and say more to him or like Have call him out or like go yeah, cause like a scene. Yeah. She knew that she needed to walk away from Briar hard as it was because she oh, loved her. And that scene, scene broke my heart because that is just like the forever plight of a caretaker, right? Like yeah. if you like separating from the children that you've come to see kind of as your own, but she, so she, yeah, she grows, but doesn't change. Like yeah. she's still the, the character that you've been watching this whole time. And I did like that. She's she said that she didn't come out of the She's a mirror, but yeah. more so somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that she got through that. She's a twenty-something figuring herself. She's out. She's still figuring herself yeah. out, but she. Well, who among us? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. right. Like I said, if somebody wrote a book about me, yeah. you're like, hmm, I well, that is interesting to think ever. about that too. Where Alix and Kelly, in a lot of different ways, but especially about race, feel like they have it figured out. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have any sort of intellectual or emotional humility 
about how they see the world, right? Kelly thinks he knows what's right for Amira. Mm-hmm. Alix thinks she knows what's right about Amira. I'm a good person. This is all fine. And to the very end, holds it against her. Like, after yeah. all I did for you right. sort of thing, which really was the, well, that and then the very, very, very end that I was like, if I if I was holding a physical book, I would have thrown it at the wall. But <laughs> yeah, alas, right. audiobook. Let's talk about... Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eyelin. Shu Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shu Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shu Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. The the caregiver stuff, because I think you're right, that the, the, the plight of it, the caregiving space, mm-hmm. right, especially when it's in the home yep. of a wealthy white person. Small children. Is a, a specific domestic space. Even now, even now it's a specific domestic space that is fraught and complicated and blurs a lot of lines that we've built up, Muddy especially down. as white people, about who's where, right? And who is available to do this kind of work. Yeah. We've had um, pe- babysitters, people that are borderline nannies that come regularly when the kids were young. And it is a fraught situation. They are and are not part of your family. You're trusting them to do the thing that you most are set up to do, for me at least, is take care of your kids. But I can't do it all the time. I've got to pay someone else to do it if, based on circumstances. And are they family? Are they not family? Are they employee? Are you their mentor? Or It's a really fraught space for the employee and for the, employ- the employer, employer and the kid. Yeah. No one has an easy time here. How did this help the book? Like, I don't think there's another job. I'll put my opinion on it and see what you guys think. I don't think there's another relationship Alix and Amira could have had that would have been as 
sort of generative for Reed to do the things she wants to do, the kind of explore the issues she wants to explore. I agree because I kept thinking, like, well, what if it was just like um, like a housekeeper maid situation, yeah. which is the closest thing I can think of to being like a huge topic of discussion, even in my own family, mm-hmm. you know, because I have people that have filled those roles that like actively do so still. But the child makes it all the more different yeah. because it's not just somebody watching your home as far as like that really like connection that you fight of like, are you family? Are you not? It's you are literally helping raise the most precious thing I have ever done with my life is like I have this kid mm. that makes it different. And so again, when I talk about muddying the waters, it's like, I felt myself going back and forth and being like, well, yeah, you should treat her really well because she is watching your child. But then like, do you need to have a glass of wine with her and like ask her all these probative questions and try to be quote unquote down for lack of a better term? And she's like, so tell me about your boy. And she's like, I just uh, really need to leave because I have plans. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there's like, there is a line you don't want to cross, but you also, in my experience, I'll say, you also don't want to be like, drop the, the bag on the ground of their stuff in an envelope full of cash. Like, that's not the appropriate relationship Or the, like, no eye, conti, no eye contact. Yeah, right. I agree. It's, it's a tough space. I mean, I think that there, I don't know if there is a more intimate sort of employer, employer-employee relationship you can have yeah. than as a caretaker. And I thought that that made the power dynamics between Alix and Amira really interesting because there are obvious like moments where that intimacy is taken advantage of like the fact that Amira leaves her phone Mm. around and that's how Alix like looks through her text messages but then there's also the interesting aspect that where Amira is protecting Briar as well and I thought that this was interesting just on its own that Briar is this child who's kind of ignored yeah. by her mom. And I had frankly kind of almost missed s- some of that. Yeah. Until Amira said it, like, pay it. You know, it's one of her, like, mm-hmm. peace, peace I'm out of here. But before I go, like, pay attention to your damn kid. And right. I will say, like, I keep saying mudding the waters, but, like, in the way that I felt about Alix, it's like, on the one hand, I was like, okay, so, you know, she needs Amira to watch her daughter whoop de whoop de wow because she has this new baby and she's running this, like, thriving business. And then you actually realize that... She is going to a cafe to that do took nothing. Me a minute to, that took me yeah. a minute to figure out that no, that's me, what was happening. Me too. And yeah. that's why, because at first, again, and that's, I think, what makes this book such an amazing read and excellent for book club is because I think you'll, you'll fall on different sides of it while you're reading the book. And then also just when you finish based on, like, what perspective you bring. But that on the one hand, I was like, no, like... Rah rah for moms! Like you have the, you know, you're allowed to need it's a break. Right you're to allowed get, to take need a some break time. Yeah. yeah, like go okay. to Target. Like yeah. you don't have to justify the means, especially if you can afford it and all that. And you're giving fine, but then you realize what she's doing is like dilly dallying, not writing her book, which in and of itself is just a set of privilege that a lot of other working moms don't have. Of all ethnicities, creeds, etc. But like she, you know, she's just sitting there like she hasn't written the book and she's supposed to, and her editor wants to know where she's at, and she's just so. Then you realize that she really is employing Amira. For complicated reasons that she may not really need, and that makes that dynamic, I think, all the more interesting when you realize what need means in this scenario, kind of. I mean, that's just my thought. And then there's that interesting, like, dinner table. I just have to mention the dinner table scene where Briar throws up and nobody is literally paying attention to this child except for Amira. And that told me so much about Alix in that moment and her relationship with her daughter and her relationship with Amira because she was so hyper-focused on Amira and Kelly the whole time. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. I, I, bad job, dad. As a dad, 
I was like, dad comes in like 10 minutes later. It's like, right. everything is okay. I was well, like, I love that the dad is like kind of Wilson from Home Improvement. Like, I mean, he's there. And we, I mean, we do know more about him than not. But like, also not. Like, he's kind of just over here he in the kinda, corner. He kind of comes home and gets some when he's been on, when she's yeah. gone. And then it's, Bye. he's just kind of, I don't, I kept waiting for him to really screw up. I, yeah. frankly, I have to say, because he has this moment, the inciting incident that gets Amir to be in Market Depot mm-hmm. is, he's made a, I didn't quite follow it. I wasn't paying close enough attention at the time. He makes a gaffe on oh, air. Yeah. yeah. That you could read more or less generously about. It's a prom proposal. Prom proposal. Mm-hmm. A couple different ones. One of is as a black kid asking his girlfriend to prom versus a white kid asking his girlfriend. And because of the sequence or because of Peter's bias or whatever, says after the black kid asks the white girl, the white, white girl, girl, I hope you got her dad's permission. Which on its face is like, what was that? And then it boom. And then they get egged, right? They basically yeah. get their house egged. And that so that also made me think about how there's these layers of it's that's probably raises a, that's more than a microaggression, but all these layers of thing that put Amira in the spot she's in at that moment. Like well, when it's a callback it's, a little right, bit, right? Yeah, right, to like, right. Amira uh Alix's whole thing. Because like A, I had that reaction to like, okay, your house got egged. And I had that moment of, like, did you need to call the cops? Like, right. at, you know, and then maybe the answer is yes or no. I don't know. But there's that. And then, then eventually you learn that, you know, Alix and Kelly's connection is that through some situations that maybe, you know, errors are made by yeah, several parties. We need parties. to talk about the end in that thing. And I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, Alix calls the cops on someone. And there's that, I don't know, it was an interesting callback to me because the situations are similar but also very, very different. Very, very different. So Alix and Kelly dated in high school – and both were who they were in a lot of ways, but also not yet who they were going to be. And Alix was writing Kelly these really long, melodramatic high school letters. Yes. She's a professional letter writer, even. Prof- yes. Which I could, that's a great five paragraph essay for a college class, is like the role of letters and um, such a fun age. But she's writing these letters and wants to lose her virginity, writes him this basically mash note with a check yes or no, and I'll be here <laughs> at this time. Like, very much like, like a heist movie, but a virginity. And we come to find out, unless I'm reading it wrong, that Kelly never got the letter. It went down into someone else's locker. Yeah, it went down that into That person the... either didn't know it was for him or did or something and showed up and knew the code and came in. He's a – his name is Robbie, right? I think Robbie's yeah, I his think name. Yeah, Robbie. I... Rob, and he was an athlete, one of Kelly's friends. He's black. He's coming in. She, well, Kelly wanted to be his friend desperately. Kelly, that's exactly. right. That's super important. Kelly wanted to be his friend. They're coming in. Alix is telling them no. Yeah. Telling Kelly no. Do not come. Do not come in here. This is not okay. Comes in. Eventually, does Alix call the cops or does Claudette call the cops? I think she confirms with Claudette, like, should I call the cops? Should I call the cops? But she asks her, you know, black caretaker, yeah. which mm-hmm. is a thing where she sort of, there's a lot of justification right, right. here, but... She asks, like, should I call the cops? And she says, yeah, I think you should. And Robbie is arrested. He had a little coke on him. He loses his scholarship. All the things that happen, not all the things, but some of the very bad things that can happen to a young black kid getting the cops called at them in a white neighborhood, a wealthy white neighborhood in the middle of the night yeah. happen. And Kelly is telling her the whole time, like, don't do this. Don't do because, this. Don't do this. Like, do you not consider, yeah. like, what calling the police on a black man is going to be? And she didn't. And she's like, she doesn't know. And that becomes kind of the original sin, then we flash forward for the rest of the book and then come back to it at sort of the end. I was a little confused about why we needed to come back to the letter. It was important to know 
that Kelly didn't give it to Robbie? Like, why was it important for Elise to have known the whole time that I was a little unclear about that. What, what's going on? I there? actually thought it was it was the moment that made me want to throw the book against the wall because, and granted, I don't know what you would have done with this information, but it's like she at that point had incontrovertible proof, right, mm-hmm. that she was wrong, like, or and maybe nah, not that she was wrong because, like, I get it if someone's just like comes over to your house, I guess, and keep him this, you know, to give more background, this is a very big fancy McMansion sort yeah. of thing, right? And that's what they want to come over is like to have a party at her house. And it's the McMansion that her parents bought when they just like went, you know, bananas with this new money. Yeah. So it's like a weird space because they haven't always been wealthy-ish. Um, and then, so I did think it was interesting because her whole thing was like, how could, Ke- like she felt victimized by Kelly, yeah, right? right? Like how could Kelly do this to me? Like she was so upset that he broke up with her. And then there's a line in our agenda about like, what's your favorite line? I didn't know it until just now. And that line is that when, you know, he always knew that Alex at the time, Alex was like a little quote unquote bougier than him with the way that she spoke. And so he chose to break up with her using this very specific sentence. Yes. And that was like. Well, was it exactly like, I think it would be best if we broke up and if our, our, paths, our paths never, never crossed again. If our paths yeah. diverged and they never crossed again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. And so that's and how he breaks up with her. And then later, deliciously. Exactly. Uh, like, you're like using that boom. line is my favorite line. When, that's my favorite line. Like, the double conscious thing kind of comes all because she can use their language against him in a way they could never understand. Exactly. So that's there. definitely that. What do you but think? Yeah, of, the, oh, sorry, the, the, right? Don't you think a little bit? I don't know. Yeah. I was like, you knew then that, like... She really had no leg to stand on. You couldn't forgive Alix at all by the Like, end, you I ruined guess. that guy's life, and whether or not you did it for the right reasons is one yeah. thing. Like, maybe you did feel threatened, but then she did find out quickly after it happened that the reason the guy showed right. up to her house is because he thought he was invited, in theory, maybe, or he didn't get these letters. Or, you sure know, he was thought, just. Right? Yeah, yeah, they don't make it explicit, but. What was. It was almost like a gone girl moment for uh, me. You're right. And that it's like. The level, how complicit she is in her own self-delusion about people. You're right. Was, like, shocking to me. Like, you knew and you've been, even in your own mind, you've been telling yourself that you've been, you were betrayed. And the way she told her friends explicitly when she was crying and in tears and, like, this is what he did to me. And all her friends came around and, like, I cannot believe what Kelly did. And you don't realize until that point that she knew she that knew. wasn't the real story. That's like my, she yeah. knew right. he right didn't there. give this. She he didn't give Robbie this letter and say like, "Ooh, look at what." Like, and I I just had chills when that scene came up because I I knew at this point that Alix was not a great person. Exactly. But yeah. now the level of it was way up there. Because yeah. I caught myself again a lot of the times, like thinking, like, am I being too hard on the leaks? Because I was starting to have a lot of feelings about her, like way before that. But yeah. I still like was like, am I? Am maybe I she's being just too hard obtuse. on her? Maybe, maybe she's, she's just exactly. Like, maybe she's just obtuse. Kind of kept like uh, it still doesn't excuse because again, a microaggression is a microaggression, mm-hmm. and her behavior in so many ways is just inexcusable in ways that you don't even need additional context for. But that thing right there was when I was like, oh no, like you chose and you continue to spin this narrative every chance you get. Yeah. Knowing what you know. So then at that point, it is an act like it's, it's specific. It's intentional. It's not just like you maybe being in a bubble, like you're feeding into your own hype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think you made the point that her delusion, like, does she even remember the real story? Like, or is she told or like, has she, is it so important to her to have been the victim completely? A victim of that story not not that happenstance she certainly didn't cause them to come no, she agree. was putting in like thing like it was a bad beat 
but it wasn't just bad luck. It was, I was a victim and these people did yeah, this to exactly. me. And she used that against Kelly in that really like fraught conversation where she comes and tracks him down, uses it with a mirror to try to say the kind of person that Kelly is. Oh my God, I forgot she tracked him and down. And even, <laughs> even to the point where she believes, I think in some way she believes that she was wronged. Oh no, she, 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 she 100% She knows the facts and thinks she was wrong. I think yes. that's the part that maybe now as I'm saying it is so important because that's kind of how privilege works. Like It does, exactly. You don't even know the things you don't even see about yourself at that particular point. Yeah. Hmm. Ooh, what questions do you have coming out of the book? We like the book. Fascinating. What things do you, What kinds of things do you find yourself thinking about after the book's over? Does anything come to mind at this point? I've said it over and over again, but like I, and I, you know, I mean this about myself. I don't mean it about other people only it's it takes work it's it's active work to live your life in a way where you are conscious of the ways that you uphold Hmm. stuff like racism white supremacy etc like i hope i'm not in the league because i choose very actively not to be but there are pieces that you have to ask yourself whether it's from your past, your present, your future. Like, do I ever act in a way that in my mind I'm telling myself is well-meaning? But and I think that's just a conversation that if more of us had in general would solve a lot of problems. Yeah. So that's like a big thing that I carried with me, and that I say when I give to other people, like, read this book if you want a book that will make you think about all the ways in which you hold up certain systems because you tell yourself that you're, and a lot of it is lives in that perception of wokeness right where you stand with your little stick and say like i'm a good person and then maybe don't listen to the people that you're allegedly trying ask, to right? or, and don't ask mm-hmm. exactly yeah. so the don't ask yeah it's probably the, the succinct version of what <laughs> i'm trying to say like i need to ask those questions we all need to ask those questions anything sharifa that sticks in your mind after yeah, well, I mean, generally, I, I agree. I want to throw this book at every single person that passes by me on the street <laughs> to say, read it. But We're the new Salvation Army, but with yeah, such a fun age. Right. Like, yeah. our little bell. <laughs> um, but I definitely had thoughts that I, – I thought that the um, relationship between Tamara and Amira was also really mm. interesting. And it definitely gave me more to chew on about, like, class within – black culture and black communities and generational divides as well. So I don't necessarily have any specific questions in my head about that, but I think about it a lot, a lot more, especially in terms of like activism and, you know, where you're supposed to be. I guess like that Tamra, is that her name? Tamra, yeah. Is of Alix's cohort, but she's black. So theoretically should know some of the things to be a better al- or to be a better mentor to Amira, to be a better I don't know because she looks to exploit the video and the whole thing. Or is that right? Or is that her? I'm now getting people confused. But she definitely has a plan. Yeah. Like she's like, oh well, you didn't get three point one, but you know, Alix can help you. And yeah, kind of starts grooming her, I guess, she's for lack of a better term. Trying to groom her to be what I quote quote unquote like good black right. girl. And I this is a conversation I think a lot of people of color have with. And then maybe it is a generational thing. Is she that? She's not that much older. Than no, her, she's. Right? I think in her 30s-ish, or is it 40s? She's more like, she's older than Alix. Oh, that's right. So she's closer, she's either 40-something or in her late 30s. I'm pretty sure she's 40-something because she's Alix's older friend. And she is complicit in the releasing of this video. She knows about it. and It'll be good for her. Yeah. And I think she's even, I can't remember, I think she's from the UK, so there are lots of like differences. Oh, there was yeah. like a an accent 
definitely in the audiobook. But she, I took it as like put upon. I really, I didn't even like pick a transatlantic up a, accent. Yeah, no, yeah. I, exactly. And the maybe Hepburn, it was, but I could, it could be that it was I, very put upon. I might be wrong about the UK, but there are differences, and it there is are. another situation where it's like, well, not all black people are all like on the same page about everything, and right. you have to consider age, and you have to consider class because Tamir didn't know anything about her. Yeah, she didn't know anything about her, and she was definitely doing the same thing of trying to put right. her under her wing and that's a thing that's a thing that happens and it's sort of like you know we'll just let this person help you mm. and don't ask any questions and don't worry about what you actually want to do with your life because any way you can get success is a right. good way because you're in a position where maybe that's not a thing that's going to come easily to you because you're you know, you're a black person mm-hmm. and you're young and you haven't really been thinking about your career and your future and stuff like that. I think that's definitely a message that happens, um, you know, within the black community and within different age levels and class levels. Yeah, I do love that both the black woman and the white woman concocted this plan to, quote unquote, help. I mean, and like, I mean, as a plot point, not right. like, like in life. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it wasn't that it was. It, it just makes it more complicated. Both of these women got together, hashed out a plan, and never once consulted the person that mm-hmm. it was actually affecting, but decided all on their own that like, this is the best thing. And then not only that, but really did heartily pat themselves on the back for like we're doing the right thing, right? Yeah, we're doing the right thing. Cool, cool, cool. Like, yeah, that was hard. There was um, some tough looks for Alix's circle of friends and text exchanges. <laughs> Very tough looks. I, About I, the weight, I guess, is the one the that really audio, stuck out to that me. Is fantastic. Oh my goodness. Oh, is that yeah. right? I can imagine that. Because you're really getting, good. you know, all these different inflections. It is one narrator, it's not a yeah. mind cast, but she did a perfect so job good. of being like, Alix, honey, I don't mean to say <laughs> you're beautiful at like any size, but like you should stop eating so many carbs or like whatever it is that she says. I can't remember the Do details. I need to send you juice no, from yeah. New York? I was like, what yep. is going on? And then there's here? that transatlantic accident. I think it was a lot of Different, but yeah, the the reading of the text messages and audio, I think, is just like chef's kiss. Oh, I it was to, I might really good. It for that. <laughs> We've been going on for a long, so a couple other things. Yep. This is just for fun. I heard, I don't know for sure, but you guys might know better than I that it was adapt. It was optioned before. Yeah. Um, so let's just talk. What's the best format for this? Is this a movie? Is it a limited miniseries streaming? Is it a network TV show? Sharifa, Ooh. you get to pick the format. What format do you want to take this as an adaptation? Or do you want it not to be an adaptation? That's also a choice. <laughs> oh, I definitely want an okay. adaptation. All right. <laughs> I definitely want an adaptation. I'm very excited. I hope it happens. Um, and I would definitely want to go full movie. I think this would be so great, like, wrapped up, like, beginning mm-hmm. to end, just, like, beautifully done. I would love to just sit in a theater because it's so compelling. Yeah. I wouldn't want to wait for the next one. I wouldn't want it to be broken up. And I would not want them to try to like milk it nope, for all it's don't. worth. So I'm going with film. Vanessa. I think I would go with film. And if I had to pick a second, I'd say like short series one, se- you know, like don't, don't do it. But I do like think big little lies season one kind of. Yeah. Uh, like I don't know. It does not need to go yeah. into second. And, and that's only because I hope that it, that if it's a movie that it can capture all of this little nuance, although I think it could, um, it yeah. is being adapted. The person who bought it was Lena Waithe. Yes. Who yes. I love so much. 
you know, she was on Master of None. She produced Queen and Slim most recently, and just is she just does. She's making things. her way up to like the C-suite level producer kind of stuff. She's it seems a like wave maker, yeah. and I I love everything that she does. She just has like a swagger about her that I super be like. She's very comfortable in her skin, and is just like this is what you're getting. And like she doesn't switch up the way she talks. Like she's just her, and yeah. I think. So much of that same thing that I loved about Amira, I think she'll capture it and cast it really thoughtfully. So I'm excited. I think you, I, I think I agree. I th- I could see a way in which they did a limited series, but when you start thinking about it, there's not quite enough. I don't think so either. There's not quite enough character. Like you get a lot of Amira and Kelly, but then everyone else doesn't even have like a. You could do an episode about Zara by herself necessarily. They they're supporting, but not in a way I feel like you could flesh out into they a standalone. They might flash back to like the early Elite's thing. Oh yeah, you're right. You I'm just thinking about way. the way that, and not always in a good way, but how yeah, many yeah, shows yeah. have you watched where you're like, how are you possibly going to milk this into? It? And then that's how. They, yeah. Like, they backstory. let you believe what you want. It ends on a bit of a cliff, and then you get the backstory and go, whoa. So it's possible, but yeah. but it's I a zippy. Two, it's two not something? even three hundred, yeah. right? Like it's a and it's a zippy. So that that's a. You could make a good two-hour movie. Yeah, it has a very good, good. three-act structure. Like the beginning, the setup, act two ends with the opening of the door to Thanksgiving or maybe closing of the door as they leave and then everything else after that Yeah, um, would make a lot of sense too. You guys did some read-alikes. I didn't have very many read-alikes, though I have a historical thing I want to talk about in a minute. But read-alikes, if you liked X... Do you want to go first? What, what do you got for something that's made you think of it? Either if you like this already, what should you read? Or if you haven't read this, what might be a good entree to get you thinking about this? Well, I thought that if you liked Such a Fun Age, um, if you were looking for something to read next, you can go backlist and read yeah. You Can't Touch My Hair by Phoebe mm. Robinson. Because I think it gives you a lot of that same nuance of what the types of thing Amira goes through as a young up-and-comer and it gives you another example of what it is to be young, a young black woman and all of the nuances and weirdnesses and unexpected things that come with that. So, And yeah. it's also really funny and it was just as – like that was another one I could not put down. So Nonfiction, I should say. Yes. Nonfiction. Right. And this great is, on audio. Yes. And yeah. So good on audio. I say so she means it. because I cannot get – like I, it, she made me say it. Yeah. I didn't adapt it like as a fandom. It was just like I started saying it. I'm like, where – oh, Phoebe. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Phoebe's amazing. Did you have another one? Sharif, or was that um, And if you, uh, if you like Americana by Chimamanda yeah. Ngozi Adichie, um, I would definitely say that you will like Such a Fun Age. But I really think everybody should read Such a Fun Age. Yeah, it's it's very recommended. I mean, you don't need too much. Vanessa, do you have read likes either way? Yeah. Um, I think, and it's sort of in a similar vein, but not, that if you liked this, and I also went nonfiction, but uh, Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl by mm. Issa Rae, which also is fantastic, fantastic on audio, I believe. Um, and it's a different experience, right? Because Issa is actually quite ambitious. Yeah. And she's just killing it these days, but still gives you this perspective of like, hey, I'm the daughter of immigrants. I'm a black woman. And my experience, I promise you, is nothing like what, like, you think, again, the monolith of, like, a black person is. Like, I'm awkward as hell. I don't know how to dance. I made a jerk out of myself by pretending that I could at a dance-off and did the worm in the middle of a dance. But, like, she just, she provides, like, context into, like, hey, everyone's experience is different. And she's hilarious, but very thoughtful. And then I think if you liked... Two very different books. One is With the Fire on High by um, Elizabeth Acevedo. 
also, I think, explores this idea of, like, a young black woman, she's Afro-Latina, going through a set of experiences that a lot of the people around her don't understand because of privilege and or differences in class and, you know, wealth. But she also does not fit. It's a book that's about important racial privilege issues. It is not necessarily a struggle book. Like, she defies a lot of the stereotypes that you might have going into knowing that the book is about, like, a teen uh, mom. Yeah. And then, real quick... For very different reasons, but I just thought if you liked Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson, another really good one on audio, but want to explore the ways in which privilege allows people to make giant mistakes and go through life completely unscathed, that's also very funny. Again, different because it doesn't deal with the same race issues, but... It's also about caregivers. Exactly. Mm. And that's what made me think of it as we were talking is the caregiver dynamic and then, yeah, the, the privilege thing and how yeah. it is a very different story for a lot of us. Um, Speaking of my, my only comp was I was thinking about what a hand grenade this would be to give to your mom's book club that read The Help. Oh, my, oh God. my goodness. <laughs> Just leave and run away. I mean, right? Like it's kind of the book you yeah. want The Help to be about a lot of similar issues. Now, contemporary but it does all the things that the help does badly very well in a way that's super uncomfortable. I think there's many valid critiques of the help, probably the principle of which is it's so easy to read from a position of privilege and feel good about yourself, right? Yeah. Like I would never be those bad white people. Whereas I read this as I'm like, I could totally be these bad white people and have been and sometimes still are when I'm not careful. Um, and maybe even when I am. This was so fun. This was great. I think we're done. (laughs) We're done. All right. We'll talk to you guys later.